And good morning to you, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on AM 1030 KVY, the voice, daily in-depth news, conversation, and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. Happy Wednesday to you. It is June 1st. Somehow, some way, we managed to get to June 1st in record time. This year has just absolutely flown. To all of our listeners listening, to Matt Neely making the magic happen on the other side of the glass, good morning to you, Matt. Uh, what day is it today other than June weather patterns? Well, it's, uh, it's uh, hump day, and it's don't give up the, don't give up the ship day. Don't so don't up. give up the ship, guys. <laughs> Jeff, that, Zach, that, come on. That that may relate to a conversation or two on on the uh, on the on the show <laughs> on the show today. Also, real quick, Matt, I love one of the things I love about Tucson is that you can go from a high of a hundred degrees to sixty six overnight. Thankfully, that doesn't happen in Phoenix. It happens no. here in Tucson, uh, and thank goodness it does. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's quite a swing. Uh, but that's the that's the that's the desert for you. Um, up ahead on the show today, uh, a couple of heavy topics. Uh, you know, there's kind of a, a weightiness. I, I certainly feel in my seat. There's some things you know that would be fun to to gloss over. Certainly more fun than tackling them, but. You know, we we are in the seat every day talking about the uh, the issues, and uh, certainly our faith and culture contributor, Pastor Jeff Loxon, will be with us for one today. Uh, we we looked at each other uh, last week and said, if we're going to honestly talk about the intersection of faith and culture and church and community, as we've been committed to doing on a regular basis over the last couple of years, we can't not talk about um, the uh, scandal that everybody found out about last week in the Southern. Uh, Baptist uh, Convention. So uh, we'll talk about that. Ruben Navarrete will be with us at the end of the hour. Uh, We'll continue to unravel what happened in Uvalde, Texas. Again, something that, um, you know, I I don't wake up in the morning excited to talk about, but we have a responsibility in the seat. We'll we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, Pastor Jeff, good to see you. You had a bit of a break last week. Always miss you when you're away, but good to see you in person. Good to see you. So uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you um, about your read of the issue. Give us kind of the news update, if you will, for any of our listeners who maybe haven't been watching as closely. Uh, Southern Baptist leaders um, were called out uh, after a pretty lengthy investigation mm-hmm. that just wrapped up last month um, about basically cover up of uh, multiple sex abuse scandals and uh, specifically a sex abuse database that they kept secret for years. And, you know, we've known of the challenges in the Catholic Church on these issues. The the SBA uh, wanted to avoid this exact thing, mm-hmm. and they had a run of it where they did. And uh, um, uh, evil comes out, right. as it always does, and it did last week. What's, what's happening? Give us the news, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Yeah, for those not familiar with denominations, uh, Southern Baptist Convention probably represents about 40,000 churches. Uh, There were people that were, um, I guess, uh, conscious of something happening, asked for a database to be created to avoid such things. Uh, We're told that that could not happen, only to find out years later, decades later, that not only did the database exist, but it existed to protect the people who were perpetrating the the abuses uh, in an effort to 
to cover them up with the phrase being mentioned that there are 40,000 churches at stake and it's better to shove it under the rug than to not. And so, unfortunately, that's what's led us to this place and uh, another more for for the local church. Yeah. No one's immune. No. Uh, we're with Pastor Jeff, of course, uh, pastor of Hope City Church right here in, in Tucson. Um, we, you know, um, there's a lot that the church does and has done that we do celebrate and should be celebrated. But I think as with any structure of... Uh, um, of power, divine or human, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's okay to ask questions and and to, uh, to uncover and to hold to account. That's right. that's what to do. There was something I was that I was that I was really interested in, Pastor Jeff, just on kind of the news side. We'll unpack it as we continue into our second segment. Um, you know, the 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 Southern Baptist uh, denomination association convention um, would um, would say, look, unlike the Catholic Church, we are a loose collection of forty thousand independent churches Mm -hmm. you know we kind of oversee but we don't what happens in those churches kind of happens in those churches Mm -hmm. not really our fault there was this quote this is from the leadership a few years back pastor jeff it stunned me uh quote this whole thing should be seen for what it is this was after more people came and said i was sexually abused in my church you should do something about it this whole thing should be seen for what it is Mm -hmm. it is a satanic scheme to completely distract us Mm -hmm. from evangelism it is not the gospel it is not even a part of the gospel it is a misdirection play yes krista brown and rachel den hollander have succumbed to an availability heuristic because of their victimizations. They have gone to the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, looking for sexual abuse, and of course they found it. Their outcries have certainly caused an availability cascade, but they are not to blame. This is the devil being temporarily successful. You touched on it, but I, 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 I struggle to wrap my mind around a situation where someone would say, we are not, we're gonna, as you said, shove this under the carpet to continue doing God's work. We're going to avoid dealing with sin mm-hmm. to go spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, for that to be that nakedly right. explicit. Wow. Und- under the guise of there is more harm than good that could come from addressing this. But the reality is 40,000 church, whatever that number is, 40,000 is the number that's on paper. But in God's eyes... The number in the face of what integrity looks like for the church and in the face of what my life looks like as an individual uh, in God's eyes is more significant, more important to him than saving face or sweeping something under the rug. The, The fallout that comes from those who have been abused, from those even who read this, I wasn't aware of it until I had heard initial uh, news report that was done with an individual that was trying to blow the whistle uh, decades ago and was told, uh, keep your mouth shut, turn the other way. And the the anger that he expressed in now realizing what this has all come to and how, how actually pervasive it was once they unveiled all of the details, not only did it impact him, but it compels those who are hearing it for the first time to maybe take a second look. And, and, and the ripple effect is is just incredible. One of the scriptures that was quoted in a 300-page report was interesting to me. It's uh, Psalm 27, 13. It says, I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. I kind of read that tongue-in-cheek, 
and uh, uh, grimace at that. I think it would be better to quote Psalm 2711, just a few verses earlier, where it says, teach me how to live, O Lord, and lead me along the right path. Uh, we have a responsibility, I think, to be able to live a life of integrity. And that doesn't mean we're perfect. I'm not perfect, far from it. But where we fall short, in this case, unfortunately, when they were, were called to account, there was denial, there was cover-up, there was avoidance. Um, when I'm wrong, I need to be able to admit I'm wrong and then find out what, like, what's the root of these issues? How do we address that? And there's a whole lot of restoration that goes without being addressed. How does that begin for people to experience healing and, and wholeness again? Because uh, I think this is still very much on the front end of, of all of the fallout that has taken place. We're with Pastor Jeff Loxton, pastor of Hope City Church right here in Tucson, Arizona. We talk at the intersection of faith and culture, church and community, and uh, there was really no way that we uh, that we could you know, brush this under the rug and just not talk about it because I think it's one of the largest denominations, one of the largest features of American mm-hmm. Christianity uh, for sure. Um, and uh, wanted to get your thoughts as a pastor on what happened. And then the next segment, how do we respond? Sure. How do you respond as a pastor? How do congregations respond? Mm-hmm. How should churches respond? And then, you know, what, what do we do with this that, you know, churches are, are collections of people who um, believe um, that their faith calls them to come together on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So there's the divine aspect of it if you're a person of faith. Uh, but then it's a human institution as well at the end of the day, clearly. Right. Um, that has the same challenges and the same flaws as any other institution right. uh, that has, you know, a lack of faith from the American public in it. What do mm-hmm. we do about that? Mm-hmm. On the other side, we'll figure it out. Pastor Jeff Logson is with us. Ruben Navarrete will be here before all is said and done as well. We'll continue to unravel what happened last week in Uvalde, Texas. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back here on Tipping Point, 1030 The Voice. at the top and bottom of every hour. 1030 The Voice. Trusted local news and talk. School's out and summer's here. And now's the best time to come out in the evenings and catch Tucson's professional soccer team, FC Tucson, in action. We're back home June 11th for Forever Pride. Fireworks and a salute to the troops on July 3rd. Celebrating Tucson's birthday on August 20th. And don't miss our defending WPSL Desert Conference champions in action. The FC Tucson women have home games June 3rd, June 19th, June 24th, and July 1st. Tickets start at just $10. Get yours now at fctucson.com. Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is proud to present Brad Kalhammer, 1159 to Tucson, a solo exhibition of works by Tucson-born, Mason, New York-based Brad Kalhammer, who creates highly personal narratives that are autobiographical reflections on three realms of his life, his indigenous heritage, his middle American upbringing in a white adoptive family, and his work as an artist and musician. To learn more and to get your tickets, go to TucsonMuseumOfArt.org. 
Tucson homeowners, do you have equity in your home and would like to sell but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market? Well, you're not alone. That's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true. They work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash, pay above market value, waive the appraisal, and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market. If you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like with no obligation, go to Tucson Cash offer.com. Zach Yenzo here, and I'm so excited to be a part of the launch of the Little Love Burger as they're growing in Tucson. Located just a few hours down from the Rialto Theater, Little Love Burger serves up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, some ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. Little Love Burger is open Sunday through Thursday, 11 to 9, and Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. You can follow their bee on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson. Don't you want some burger to love? Hi, this is Ethan Orr from the University of Arizona, where we apply science for sustainability and economic opportunity. At the Arizona Cooperative Extension, we focus on youth leadership, water conservation, and environmental health. If you'd like to find out more about urban agriculture, youth development, or creating a healthier environment, call me, Ethan Orr, at 520-621-0906, or visit us at extension.arizona.edu. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the 70-plus startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges that houses the university's commercialization hub with several other projects coming out of the ground, they are integral in shaping the future of southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. When you manage your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, this is Tom Sullivan. Join me weeknights from 7 to 10 for the Tom Sullivan Show on 1030 KVOI, The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. You are live here out of the Common Workspace Studios listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser. Pastor Jeff is with us, pastor of Hope City Church here right on the 22nd Street Corridor in Tucson. Uh, he's our regular faith and culture contributor. We, When we talk, we talk at the intersection of faith and culture, church and community. Uh, and today, um, instead of sweeping it under the rug, um, as the uh, Southern Baptist Convention did for a number of years. We're talking about a tough topic, and that is, you know, the uh, exposure of a decades-long cover-up of sexual abuse within the f- some 40,000 churches that are part of the Southern Baptist um, Convention uh, and talk about what that means and, um, and, uh, and, and all of that. Uh, so we talked about kind of the news side of it in the first segment. You can catch that on the podcast um, if you missed it. But as a pastor of a church, this, of course, probably, you know, cuts uh, uh, in a different way um, because you're in one of those seats in one of those churches. And you're not part of the Southern Baptist Convention, to be clear, that I'm aware of. Um, but um, you're, you're leading a church. Right. You're in the seat. How does it, on a human level, how does it feel? What's your response 
And then what do you think is, uh, how, how should we respond to, to news like this? Well, I, you know, I think initially the response is just a shaking of the head and uh, yet another thing, more ammunition for people to uh, look at the church and say, see, I told you so. Um, even though I'm not, we're not a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, um, I always felt like it was a, a strong um, a, a strong denomination apart from the more recent unfolding of events. But I think it's fair for an individual to say that uh, this this does not represent all churches within the denomination. And there are other denominations that should not also be coupled with the actions that have happened here. Unfortunately, the actions of, of a group of people, um, misguided, dysfunctional, have now uh, put this tarnish on the entire association as a whole, and that's that's unfortunate. But I think looking in the mirror, like we are all susceptible. I think the practical application is we we as human beings want to believe and trust in something or someone, and the church is flawed. It's comprised of flawed people. My trust, personally, if I stay focused on who God is, apart from the men and the women that comprise the church, uh, they will always let me down. I will let you down. Um, unfortunately, uh, but God is someone that that does not disappoint, and so it really is perspective. I think for those that were the perpetrators, um, what is the root issue? How do we begin to understand where this all stems from? What dysfunction is there? What is what stresses drive this kind of 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 action on the, their parts? And then what does restoration look like? Not just for those who have been abused, but for the abusers. Because I don't think we will all make mistakes. And when I've made mistakes, the people that I've appreciated most are the ones that have embraced me and said, look, I, I know that you still have good in you. Let's figure out a way forward instead of uh, pushing me to the side and, and, and throwing me out with the, with the trash, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, understanding the root issue and restoration is the long work, um, but it needs to be done or we'll just continue to experience events like this, unfortunately. Pastor Jeff is with us, faith and culture contributor, uh, pastor of Hope City Church here in Tucson. We have Doug on the line with a live comment. Doug called 520-790-2040. Uh, Doug, a conversation I would have rather not walk, uh, woken up and talked about today, but here we are. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? No, I understand. I just wanted to make a comment. Back when we were running Christian radio stations, we, uh, we had a scandal in the 90s with Jim and Tammy Baker and then Jimmy Swagger. Mm -hmm. You know, and whenever I'd go to see clients, particularly people that weren't Christians, they'd say, yeah, what do you think about Jim and Tammy Baker? Mm -hmm. And But I would say to them, they just go, you know, I don't follow Jim and Tammy Baker. I follow Jesus. 100%. What do you think about Jesus? Right. And, and it would just then open the door, and then we would start talking. And it actually turned out to be a real opportunity because it was something people never brought up, you know. But because there is a scandal... You know, people will bring it up, and that leads you right into a conversation about faith. I don't follow the Southern Baptist Convention or, you know, Jim and Tammy Baker, whoever. You know, I mean, we're flawed people, and you follow flawed people, and you make your uh, you make your whole faith about them. You're you're going to be disappointed. So, anyways, I just wanted to give you that perspective. It was something we deal dealt with a lot back in the '90s. It was one of those things that you couldn't go someplace and people mm. wouldn't bring it up. Doug, I, I I appreciate the call, and I, I agree personally, you know, with Doug there there, Jeff, and I think it's that tension of yes, 
and then also the institution is a reflection uh, of the bigger idea and this just analysis of whether it's the White House or the Southern Baptist Convention, there's something scarily corrupting um, about a focus on power and influence. If that's where you're focused, whether you're the Catholic Church, whether you're an unaffiliated, powerful figure in the Christian faith, I mean, we saw champions of Christianity in the last couple of years fall to this exact challenge. Mm -hmm. There's something about power and influence when that's the goal. It's corrupting. Yeah, I mean, reading the report, the person was on sabbatical, uh, and I'm speaking about the person at the top initially. This is broader than that. But we find ourselves in places where we're relaxed, where we are um, uh, basking in the success, if you will. And it's those moments where we're not diligent, not paying attention, where I think we're more susceptible. There are great examples of people who didn't. I, you know, I take cues like where in the Bible are people doing what they're supposed to? Daniel going into captivity, the scriptures say in Daniel 1.8 that he determined not to defile himself. So there was a resolve before then. And then Joseph, when his boss's wife approached him and she said, I want to have sex with you in Genesis 39.7, she says, come sleep with me. He literally, like, ditched his coat in her hands and ran out of the house naked. Of course, that probably didn't look good for the whole thing going on there. But he f he fled from the scene. So there are people that do the right things. I don't know what my actions will be until I'm in that moment. But I do pray in advance that I would have that same resolve and not succumb to those things. I think denominations have a place for support, for accountability. Uh, I wonder if this did not take place under a denomination, if it would still be swept under the rug. But because it is part mm -hmm. of a denomination, it's brought into the light. And the reality is God will always reveal in the light the things that happen in the dark. And we have a responsibility to be tru uh, truthful about those things when we're a part of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and it, for me, these conversations, Pastor, are always a mix of, you know, what is the, you know, certainly in our faith and culture theme, you know, what is the more spiritual component of this, you know, but the church, unfortunately, is one of the one of the many institutions other than the military in this country that have seen drastic drops in confidence in mm -hmm. and faith in. Mm -hmm. And so I'm also always thinking from a community perspective. And I think it takes leaders like yourself to say, you know, the first part to addressing this is to say it was wrong, and we need to be the first to say, how do we make sure this doesn't happen in the future? Right. You know, and um, yeah, and this is not to beat up on uh, on, on the church. That's not why either of you are, I are here on a regular basis. But we have to be the first to say that's unacceptable and not who we are and what we want to be, and it can't happen again. It's an opportunity for us to learn from it, learn from others, and avoid those <coughs> things in our own lives. For sure. Pastor Jeff, you're the pastor of Hope City Church here in Tucson. Where can people find you outside of this conversation if they want to? Yeah, we're at HopeCityChurchTucson.com. You guys are doing great work, uh, seeding and influencing some really great things in the city. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for what you do in Tucson, and thanks for talking about this topic today. Thanks for having the hard conversation. <laughs> for sure. When we come back, a few words from me, and then Ruben Navarrete will be with us. Uh, he's the most widely read Latino columnist in the country. He's with us on a regular basis. We'll continue to unwind what happened in Uvalde, Texas last week. Lots more to go here. You're listening to Tipping Point. I'm your host. Zach Yenser here on 1030 The Voice. Don't go anywhere.
Tucson. Your Tucson Museum of Art is proud to present Brad Kalhammer, 1159 to Tucson, a solo exhibition of works by Tucson-born, Mason, New York-based Brad Kalhammer, who creates highly personal narratives that are autobiographical reflections on three realms of his life, his indigenous heritage, his middle American upbringing in a white adoptive family, and his work as an artist and musician. To learn more and to get your tickets, go to TucsonMuseumOfArt.org. Tucson homeowners, do you have equity in your home and would like to sell but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market? Well, you're not alone. That's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true. They work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash, pay above market value, waive the appraisal, and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market. If you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like with no obligation, go to Tucson Cash Offer. Offer.com. School's out and summer's here. And now's the best time to come out in the evenings and catch Tucson's professional soccer team, FC Tucson, in action. We're back home June 11th for Forever Pride. Fireworks and a salute to the troops on July 3rd. Celebrating Tucson's birthday on August 20th. And don't miss our defending WPSL Desert Conference champions in action. The FC Tucson women have home games June 3rd, June 19th, June 24th, and July 1st. Tickets start at just $10. Get yours now at fctucson.com. When you manage your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West. Federally insured by NCUA. Helping you make better money decisions is what the Ramsey Show is all about. Today at 1 p.m. on 1030 The Voice. We're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. Good morning to you. We are live out of the Common Workspace studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenzer here on AM 1030 KVOI, The Voice, the in-depth news conversation and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. This segment is sponsored by Little Love Burger. They opened downtown last fall, and I'm pleased to report they're doing quite well. Some good men and women who love this city uh, and are doing well in business downtown. All that makes me happy. They're serving up the juiciest burgers, little hot dogs, some ice cream milkshakes, local brews, and breakfast sandwiches. You can follow them on social media at Little Love Burger and mention you heard about them here on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser for a 15-1-5% discount off your next order. We just said goodbye to our faith and culture contributor who we have on uh, as a regular contributor. Uh, we talked about the uh, kind of a tough topic, the uncovering of, a, of a, what's amounting to a sexual abuse scandal over many decades in the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. And again, not that we look for moments or ways to uh, beat up on the church uh, as an institution, um, but we felt that we couldn't honestly sit here uh, as a, a frequent conversation and get on the air with you and not talk about it because it was very much in the news uh, on not only uh, kind of faith-focused platforms, I guess, but national news. Um, and one of the largest denominations uh, of the Christian faith the Protestant Christian faith in the country, uh, a denomination that really sought to distance itself from, in this way from the Catholic Church. And, uh, and now we're finding that uh, 
um, at the end of the day, humans and institutions do similar things uh, and struggle in similar ways, regardless of of what they're called. And so that was our conversation. You can catch it on the podcast. Ruben Navarrete is going to be with us uh, on the other side of the break. We're going to continue to unwind uh, what happened last week in Uvalde, Texas, as the news continues to uh, come in there. Uh, again, waking up and getting in this seat uh, is almost uh, uh, 99% of the time fun. Uh, there's this 1% where it's like, man, would rather not talk about this stuff, but that's a disservice to what we try to do together here on this platform, on this drive time, on this drive time hour. Uh, and again, the, the conversation in the last uh, last half really revolved around kind of some of the, these, the stunning ideas um, that when people came forth and said that, hey, I was sexually abused uh, in this church and you should do something about it, you should set up a database so they can't skip from church to church to church, um, that that denominational leaders um, said that uh, this was a demonic scheme to distract us from the work of the gospel and the work of evangelism. Um, and and I, I see this in a broader, in a broader context. Um, there is a uh, there is a religious left that is growing, but they're not at a point where we've been for the last 40, 50 years in this country um, where there has been a religious right. And again, I, I don't intend, I don't walk in looking to, to, to pick on anybody or to pull down any of these ideas. Uh, but conservative, evangelical, in many cases, Southern Baptist churches have sought to play um, in, uh, in arenas of power and politics in, in ways that I think are distinctive in many ways uh, over the last 40 or 50 years. We talked about with Pastor Jeff maybe a year ago the scandal uh, of the leader of Liberty University um, who uh, was very straightforward over the years in saying, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a person of faith, I'm a real estate developer, I'm a lawyer. Um, and his intent was to, to build a faith-based institution to a point where it could play in power politics. One of the first institutions to endorse uh, President uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and, and this follows in a theme um, of, of the church in its human institution uh, kind of form uh, looking to either preserve power or create power. And, and and I think these institutions have to look at look at look themselves in the eye and say in what ways are we operating uh, for power and ratings and influence, right? I, I would even carry this over if we're going to talk institutions. I'd carry this over to news and media. I think when 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 news and media began the arms race uh, for clicks and impressions and clickbait. Uh, it, it shifted the news to being self-serving institutions, MSNBC or Fox News, let's be honest, uh, of being opinion journalism that created uh, silos and vacuums of information uh, and, and, and clicks and clickbait. And as soon as they went in that direction, they lost long-term influence. Right? There, there's some people who analyze institutions in the U.S., government, church, media, military. I think this is the one reason uh, why the military uh, is still rated at like 40 to 50% confidence in America. 
It's the one institution that has seen the least drop in trust and faith by the American people since the 50s or 60s. It's, it's the U.S. military because the U.S. military um, is not a platform for self-aggrandizement. It's not, it's, not, it's not a platform for individual power and influence. It is a team sport for the good of a bigger idea. Now, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, but you get what I'm saying, right? Uh, the, 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 our news platforms, you could no longer say that. Uh, in so many ways, our major faith institutions, uh, uh, even though they are ultimately the minority of, of many uh, good things happening on the ground in many places, uh, they have be often become platforms for personal power and influence. And so has government. Right? I, I think about, uh, and I've said this example on the air before, um, and, and I'm sure that there's examples on the other side of the aisle. Again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. This is just the example that I heard. You know, when Madison Cawthorn, the uh, now displaced uh, young congressman from, I think, North Carolina, when, when he got elected by North Carolinians a couple of years ago, um, the majority of his staffers were comms people, not policy people. Um, because I think he saw, and probably correctly, that uh, personal power and influence in Congress today is not gained by going, being good at policy for the good of the people. It is in creating a brand, um, right? And there's examples, I'm sure, you know, on the other side of the aisle. Again, I'm, I'm, I, I try to cut both ways. I don't intend to pick on one side uh, or the other. Uh, but, but, but when our institutions become platforms for personal power and gain, um, and when gain of power and influence becomes the goal, uh, then the institutions stopped doing what they were supposed to do. Uh, and I think we're at a crisis point. And I don't use that word lightly. Everyone wants to throw that around, you know. When I say American democracy is shaky, I'm not trying to be political about it or try to be, you know, crying woof about it. Uh, I think we are at a point where our institutions had lost their way of what they were designed to do. And when, you know, four and five major institutions, church, government, media, uh, uh, education begin to lose their way of what they're supposed to do it puts the bigger American experiment in trouble do, do I think we'll pull out of this moment I have every reason historically and hope in this country that we will I'm not a doomsdayer but we got to look at this stuff so I think our conversation with Jeff falls into uh, falls into that bucket Ruben Navarrete is in the green room he'll be with us on the other side of the break we're going to continue to unwind what happened in Uvalde, Texas, a tragic incident last week. The news continues to come out about what happened and what didn't happen. And we're going to talk about it on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Local and national politics. The issues that matter to you. 1030 The Voice. Tucson's trusted local news and talk. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the 70-plus startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges that houses the university's commercialization hub with several other projects coming out of the ground, they are integral in shaping the future of southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. 
Zach Yenser here, host of Tipping Point, and I want to tell you that Decibel Coffee Works is the coffee we drink at home and while we're out and about. Run by a great local team of people who care about the Tucson community, you'll find a variety of great coffee drinks, beans, pastries, and more. There's also a rumor ice cream is on its way in 2022. To see their full menu and varieties of roasted beans from around the world, visit DecibelCoffeeWorks.com and visit them at 267 South Avenida del Convento. Mention you heard about them on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser for 10% off your next order on anything you buy. The economy is moving forward, and Arizona businesses are looking at new opportunities and challenges as we emerge from COVID-19. Leading companies are planning how to respond to new business and rebuild their teams and are looking for critical talent now. The right talent in key positions will make all the difference, and having a trusted and dedicated talent acquisition partner will give you an edge. Devin and her team at Talent Store will connect you with top talent while positively impacting time to hire, retention, and your employer brand. Learn more by visiting yourtalentstore.com and schedule time with Devin and her team. Why I love where I live. It's a brand and movement that began here in Tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live. Located in the open air Mercado San Agustin Annex, just west of downtown, it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food, drink, and other shopping options close by. Find gifts, toys, books, and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live. Visit them at the Annex off the I-10 at Cushing and Avenida del Convento. Zach Yenzer here, and I'm so excited to be a part of the launch of the Little Love Burger as they're growing in Tucson. Located just a few hours down from the Rialto Theater, Little Love Burger serves up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. Little Love Burger is open Sunday through Thursday, 11 to 9, and Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. You can follow their bee on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson. Don't you want some burger to love? Hi, this is Ethan Orr from the University of Arizona, where we apply science for sustainability and economic opportunity. At the Arizona Cooperative Extension, we focus on youth leadership, water conservation, and environmental health. If you'd like to find out more about urban agriculture, youth development, or creating a healthier environment, call me, Ethan Orr, at 520-621-0906, or visit us at extension.arizona.edu. This is Bill Buckmaster, Wednesday at noon, Tucson City Councilman Steve Kasachek on 1030 KVOI, The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. You're listening to Tipping Point here live out of the Common Workspace Studios. This segment is sponsored by Decibel Coffee Works. It's the coffee the Yenser family drinks at home. And while we're out and about, visit them at 267 South Avenida del Convento at the MSA Annex off the I-10 between Cushing and Congress. And I mentioned you heard about them on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser for 10% off your next order on anything you buy. Ruben Navarrete is with us, host of Ruben in the Center, syndicated across many platforms um, that you would recognize. He is our uh, centered voice analyzing national issues here on the program. We focus locally and on the state level. When we go national, it's with Ruben Navarrete. Ruben, good morning to you. Thanks, as always, for being with us. Zach, great to be back with you. Thank you. So there's there's a couple of things that that I want to um, unpack with you a little bit, uh, you know. Other than obviously uh, the big hairy topic 
of conversation that came out of Uvalde, Texas around gun rights and gun restrictions. I think the other big news item, um, and I want to get your kind of reporting first before we get your analysis and opinion, Ruben, um, has been um, why did the law enforcement officers at different levels uh, not uh, enter the building sooner? Could they have saved more lives uh, unpack that a little bit, Ruben. You've been watching the story, maybe even a little closer than I have. That's where the attention has gone, even in the last forty-eight hours. Well, what are you seeing there? So, Zach, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, normally after a tragedy like this, we'd be having a national conversation about a few things. We might talk about uh, naturally guns, about uh, mental illness, about uh, you know, video games. You name it. Uh, in this case, though. You could dedicate half of the national conversation just to the police response, uh, just to what went wrong, and you'd have plenty of material to work with. Uh, it's become, as you say, a story all by itself. Here's what we have to keep in mind. There were five different jurisdictions of police officers on the scene that day in Uvalde. There was the small, tiny, little, now we know, Mickey Mouse uh, police department uh, with the school district, six-person strong. Uh, that's under fire, that was completely in over it, its head. You have the city police of Uvalde. You have the county sheriff's department in Uvalde County. You have uh, DPS, the Department of Public Safety. And I know from those five years I lived in Dallas, the DPS shadow, the Texas Rangers, it looms large. And then lastly, you had the U.S. Border Patrol, who'd shown up, you know, just basically they're in the area, they police that town anyway, a tactical unit shows up, uh, that's not counting the off-duty Border Patrol officer whose um, wife teaches at the school and texted him, and he grabbed the barber's. He was getting a haircut. He grabbed the barber's shotgun and went down to the school separately. Uh, but in terms of those five jurisdictions, Zach, every one of the five seems to have failed. Every one of the five. And I know from 35 years of, of doing this line of work and covering scandals, you know, there's a certain substance that rolls downhill. And when uh, this went bad... The, the chore then became for everybody to point the finger at Pete Arredondo, who's the uh, sheriff or who's the, the chief of police for the school district, for the six officers. And it goes way beyond Arredondo. Uh, I just do not believe the narrative, Zach, that's been put out, that the DPS, the Border Patrol, and everybody waited on his word, that somehow he, he ran the show, that he gave the commands, that they would have deferred to him. That has not been my, my experience with law enforcement, particularly in Texas. I think DPS ran the show when it got there. Uh, I don't think that a Mickey Mouse kitty cop tells the Rangers what to do. And I guess I'm right, because in the long run, that view has been vindicated because it was Border Patrol that breached on their own, decided to have the authority, they overrode what Arredondo said, and they went in and killed the suspect. So the question is, if you did that after 70 minutes, why couldn't you have done that after seven minutes? Mm. So lots of questions, lots of blame. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and if a listener is asking, okay, Zach, what's the point of asking Ruben this? Ruben, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it means. Maybe you do. Uh, I, I just am observing that this has become quite a story. You know, and, and I'm, I'm supportive of our law, law enforcement, you know, professionals. There's no underlying intent to, to weaken the, you know, any integrity of or faith in, you know, law, law enforcement. I just am observing that this has become a story on its own. I know you're watching it. Totally. And it, it's, it's frustrating. Even, you know, I was watching an interview with Dan Crenshaw, Republican uh, congressman from Texas. And, you know, he was head 
at Gene in an interview because, you know, that's kind of what you do in an interview. But he was as clear, I think, as could be of saying, I'm not going to comment. I'm going to let the investigation happen. But my hunch is someone's head is going to roll because 76 minutes is unacceptable. It caused unneeded death. And it's disappointing um, that law enforcement, for whatever reason, didn't jump in and take a couple of hits, literally and figuratively, uh, to, to get this guy down sooner before we lost the n- amount of lives that we did. It's an incomprehensible story right. so far to me, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. So, We talk about, Zach, we talk about it because of accountability, because these grieving families deserve answers, because there's now a police patrol outside of Pete Arredondo's house. That's, uh, this guy is getting death threats. Uh, they had to cancel the the swearing in. He's been elected to the city council. I wouldn't be surprised to see a recall movement. Um, wow! They had to cancel the event. He's not he's not safe. His family's not safe. These these people in Uvalde, those parents deserve answers, and they do do really believe that if the police had acted more uh, more quickly, uh, some of their kids would be alive. Here's another part of it. Politically, the right wing, the conservatives, the pro gun folks, the gun nuts, who I will first uh, refer to affectionately as the gun nuts. They're the ones who want to talk about the cops, and I'm with them on that. They want to push the narrative that the cops screwed up because they don't want to talk about guns. They're anxious to change the subject. Normally, they would change it to mental illness. Uh, they're talking about we should be concerned about black-on-black crime in Chicago. Why doesn't the media care about that? They will throw anything they can up against the wall to get us to avoid talking about guns. So when Tucker Carlson and others caught whiff of this police failure, that became their major preoccupation. And this is one of those times where I'm with the crazy right wing because you need to find out what happened. As a son of a cop, I need to know if those cops screwed up so we can uh, hold them accountable and make sure this doesn't happen again by creating a better law enforcement system going forward. We're with Ruben Navarrete this morning, a widely read uh, columnist in this country on national issues, also host of his own podcast, Ruben in the Center. Uh, Ruben, the other piece of this, of course, is the conversation now around gun rights and gun restrictions. Uh, You um, have been working on a piece about how um, extremism is killing rational discourse in America uh, and that the most popular view um, around gun rights and gun restrictions is not being represented. It's actually why, uh, and you know, I love you, Ruben. You know, when you use the word gun nuts, I kind of shudder a little bit because I think it's language like that that pits uh, that pits people against each other. And I think extremism is killing rational discourse um, in, in America. Um, what is the popular position, Ruben, on guns? And you actually say that our current debates are likely to produce more centrists. In a sky full of storm clouds, there's a silver line. I thought it was an interesting take. Uh, Senate, uh, Congress, legislatively, we're looking at this issue again. What happens, and why do you have a little bit of hope? Yeah, so let me just say this. When I say gun nuts, uh, as our former president might say, I'm sure some of them are good people. You know, uh, let let the record show that it wasn't the columnist from California who brought extremism to the discussion. Uh, When people talk about immigration, they use extreme language all the time. Uh, so I will say this. I think the extremism uh, in general and the, the, the silencing of the middle, it's been an attempt to, to silence the centrist. It's only strengthened the center. The number of people who don't identify with either political party has grown exponentially. The, the, the popular place now to be is in the center. I think it was the vaccine debate and the abortion debate and the immigration debate and the gun debate. Pick your debate. People are left cold by the extreme. 
they just don't believe in, in immigration on huge border walls or in letting in everybody and giving them all free tuition at the University of Arizona. And if you let the extremes talk, you'll see that they go off to crazy town. They take the four o'clock express train to crazy town and they go there. And if it's on abortion, they go to the far left and the far right. If it's on guns, the far left and far right. I have been very interested in a couple of things. I'm interested in Mitch McConnell sending John Cornyn to negotiate a deal with Democrats. Me too. A deal that will anger some Republicans. Some of the aforementioned gun nuts will be angry at Cornyn and McConnell for giving any ground up on guns because they think the Second Amendment is absolute. They're wrong about that. Hugh Hugh Hewitt, a constitutional lawyer and and radio host that we know, uh, is also of the opinion that they're wrong about that. Uh, Argues that the Second Amendment is not absolute, describes himself as center right now, and and ultimately believes that there should be restrictions on uh, certain types of gun use. Michael Medved, a Republican, also believes that, I was on his show last week, also believes that the Second Amendment is being misinterpreted uh, by people who want to use it to overthrow the government. So that, to me, is the fascinating part of the discussion. There are folks on the right wing who are Republicans, who are not Democrats, who do not want to take the express train to crazy town on guns, and they believe that we ought to be able to regulate that. And I say good for them in the same way that I say good for the people who are Democrats on the left, who, when the issue turns to abortion, likewise think that you can be pro-choice, as I am, but favor restrictions on a woman's right to choose, as I do. So welcome to the middle, America. That's where you need to be. Well, I've been challenged too, Ruben, by seeing, you know, some of, uh, you know, some, you know, uh, Democratic colleagues on Twitter, you know, start using phrases like democratic terrorists and, uh, you know, and, and, and things like that. You mentioned in a piece that you worked on that your view is that the popular view in this country is in support of a right to own gun, uh, broadly that right. Americans Absolutely. across the board support the Second Amendment, but also with restrictions. Um, and I just don't know if that are, if that conversation is served well um, by the certain substance, uh, unnamed Ruben, that were thrown at each other in the last week on this. Um, but it's to be expected. So I think uh, you can say they have the right to bear arms and still say that we should not have on the market for civilian use an AR-15. I'll use the phrase assault rifle because that's what it is, an assault weapon. Uh, That is defined by the impact of the bullet, by the fact that it destroys the organs when it impacts them, the fact that you can shoot so many bullets at one time. That is a long cry away from from the 1873 Winchester, the gun that won the West. I grew up around guns. I grew up with guns all around the house. My dad was a cop for 37 years. I don't need lectures from gun nuts about the importance of the Second Amendment. I get it. But that's a long way from being in love with guns and having this national psychosis that we have where people will stockpile uh, tons and tons and tons of heavy impact, uh, of heavy artillery uh, on this idea somehow that they need to match the government bullet for bullet, gun for gun, tank for tank. Uh, it's just not rational. It's, it's a psychosis. And I don't care whether you have a garage full of 100 cars or a closet full of 100 guns. There is something wrong with your thinking. And people like that, you want to talk about mental illness, there's your mental illness. People like that should not have guns. I think it's going to be interesting, Ruben, to to see, you know, what this uh, McConnell commissioned work comes to. It was very interesting to see that as well. And maybe that's a conversation for a later day of of what happens there. Um, But I do hope you're right 
um, that a silver lining in this whole context of talking about abortion rights and gun rights, that maybe we can produce a few more centrists um, who are focused on figuring out how do we match policy uh, to where uh, the majority of the American people are. Ruben, where can people find you outside of this conversation? I write for the right wing at Newsmax, and I write for the left wing at the Daily Beast. I'm at rubennabretta.com. Follow the arrows are coming at me from both directions. They are indeed. Ruben, stay safe out there. We'll do this again soon. Until next time, thanks so much, and take care out there. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow, Tucson, same place, same time. Hugh Hewitt is up next, Bill Buckmaster at noon. We'll be back Thursday. Thanks for listening.